Welcome back to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by LaBelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. This week, we got about maybe three or four topics that we're going to discuss, and then we'll call it a day. First thing, I, first way I want to start off this week, though, fellas, um, you know, it's been a long time for my city, man. You know, uh, did you catch the fellas? Meaning the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, how they was acting up this week and won their first championship since 1974 or 1971, I believe it was. Did y'all get a chance to check that out? And what you think about that? I did, man. Congrats to congrats to you. Congrats to the city and to the team. That was that was huge. And and look, whatever, whatever somebody had to say about Giannis going into it, they can't say it no more because that man hit it down. Shout out to uh, Drew too, because like the, the game plan they had in terms of locking down the, that backcourt, that that doesn't happen with a, without a player like Drew Holiday. So, shout out to him and, and Middleton stepped up when when you know when he had to, and Brooke Lopez too, and all those guys for real. Yeah, congrats to the the Bucks. Uh, I'm trying not to go on a rant. I'm making short because I was feeling some things uh, about how people per you know perceive this finals you know shout out to highness um a lot of people were calling him the robin and all this and saying he wasn't top tier and it was nice to see someone that humble you know prove himself and and all the and people were this finals uh received a lot of christmas criticism for the you know the way the season went to why there's no stars some people even saying put an asterisk next to it and it was kind of irritating to me, you know, this team earned it. I like finals when it has teams like this, just, just like maybe I, I, I like the uh, 2005 finals. I like the 1994, you know, NBA finals, you know, sometimes the, 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 the stars is not going to win all the time. Sometimes it, basketball is about who's better that year and Milwaukee Bucks, they proved it this year that they were the better team. Yeah, I think you hit it on the nose, the team, right? Like some teams may have had better players, you know, like better, more stars and individual talent, but collectively, like they won as a unit, you know, and what I appreciate it most is that Giannis, he didn't take his act anywhere else. He stayed there and he earned the right, you know, to become a champion in that city. He wanted to win it for the city that drafted him, you know, and that's something that's not typically done as much anymore as it was in the past. Usually guys used to stick with the team that they were on. And there's no knock against anybody who felt the need to have to leave in order to win a championship. But, you know, you got to respect the man who uh, does it in that manner. Now, we're going to go ahead and get off into these boxing topics. Let's go ahead and start off with that fight. Um, I believe it was in the UK yesterday. You had Carlos Tackham, who was taking on a juggernaut, Joe Joyce. Um, what do you think about Joe Joyce's performance yesterday? <laughs> Uh, wow, this fight, uh, in some ways, it went similar to what I thought it was going to go. In some ways, it was uh, exemplified. Um, so, uh, Joy, Joe, Juggernaut Joyce, he came to this fight 12 uh, and 0 with uh, 11 knockouts. Uh, he's a tall guy, big boy, six foot six, 80 inch wingspan. Of course, he, he's coming off his knockout over Daniel Dubois, which is, you know, impressive considering that Dubois was looked at as uh, one of the, the top prospects in the heavyweight division. And of course, he has a, also has wins over Brian Jennings and Bermaine Stavern. Uh, he's taking on uh, Carlos Tackham, uh, 39 and 5, uh, with 28 knockouts. 
coming into this fight, six foot one with a, a long 80 inch wingspan. Uh, he's four. He's four years old, even though he's a uh, uh, he's five years older than Joyce, but also he's older in ring uh, years. I think Joyce is, kind of, is pretty young as far as he hasn't had a lot of fights. And Tackham, you know, he, he he's been in there with uh, plenty of guys, um, pretty much lost against who's who, but he's always been a, a capable opponent. So uh, this fight it was won by Joyce John Joyce by a fifth round stoppage. Um, some people thought it was early. I, I don't think it was early. I think it eventually would have happened. Um, but I do think it was offset by how well attacking was, was doing. Uh, I scored this fight. Um, I, I had attacking win in the first four rounds. Uh, and then, uh, Joyce took over in the fifth round, um, as Tackham started to slow down, uh, like I believe Tackham came in, he used a lot of uh, movement. Uh, Joyce was trying to break his rhythm um, and with his jab, he was stalking him. Um, and and Tackham was letting off some pretty good combinations and shots for the first few rounds. Um, what, I, what I did see about Joyce that I thought, what I like is that he does have a jab and he used that jab and it was to, to offsetting uh, Tackham's rhythm. Um, but as I said, of course, his left hook and, and a straight right hand is very, very, you know, slow. And sh as soon as he throws that, when he starts throwing that, that, that uh, right hook with his uh, rear hand, it's very slow. You can see it coming from a mile away. But and sometimes it works when he's using that jab, you know. Um, so he does have some IQ. He was trying, you can see he was trying to read to Cam, attack him, and, uh, counter him with with uh, certain hooks uh but, but tackham was doing very very well i was impressed with the first uh four rounds i, th I thought um he boxed well he was hitting uh joyce with plenty of combinations but joyce is showing his chin and uh which is pretty impressive and it's interesting to see how good that chin is going to be going forward in this heavyweight division uh because he, he this pretty much he was relying on it once uh, Tackham couldn't really hurt him. Uh, I think some Tackham started losing some of his confidence, and you know maybe it was a little bit of stamina issues. But by that fifth round, uh, he started getting more shaky with that movement and, and started trading more. And Joy started pretty much uh, catching him. And in the sixth round, um, Joyce just jumped on him, and and the referee waved it off. I think that. It was plenty of uh, of unanswered punches. Attackham was trying to shake it off, um, but I, I think this attack lasted about a good thirty seconds or more, uh, and the referee saw enough and just waved it off. Um, but you know, uh, Joyce doesn't always look impressive, but certain things that that he he was doing that I can you know appreciate. He's a very uh, patient fighter, even though he, to me, in my opinion, he was being pretty much outbox for the first four rounds but he did a good job reading uh tack him and jumping on him when he could yep good breakdown sir um when i looked at the fight uh, one thing that you mentioned that i was surprised at because i was looking at the scorecards that they were showing on the screen and i saw that they gave tack in the first two rounds and i think they gave joyce the rest of the rounds but i scored it like you i had it uh, for the first four rounds going to Tackham uh, or to Com because he was just doing enough. He was doing what um, 
Castaño was doing in some of those rounds where Joyce was using a one-two, using his jab, you know, obviously Joyce is an imposing figure in the ring. I mean, you see that out the gate, like how just big and solid he is. But like you say, he's slow. He's plotting forward, you know, and most of the rounds he was controlling the round, but I gave the nod to Takam because he was landing some of those overhand rights. And like you said, he was landing some combinations and he'll typically do that where Joyce probably landed more shots, but the more powerful, impactful shots were landed by Takam. You know, going into this fight, this was Joyce's uh, first time fighting someone who was six foot one. So um, that I heard some of his people saying that that's probably what was giving him, you know, problems throughout the fights because he's not used to fighting a guy that short. You know, even though six one is not that short, but that's just you know the, the way the heavyweight division is now. You got so many huge guys, and then also. The fact that you mentioned this as well, Takam actually had a longer reach, like he had a half inch reach advantage. So those long winging shots, he was able to connect with a lot. And it was at certain points, if he just threw punches, he, he couldn't miss, you know, and that, that's the problem that you see with Joe Joyce, but he's so huge, he's able to absorb those shots and not show any um, adverse effects from the shots that he's, he's uh, getting nailed by. But Again, if he fights somebody with a heavier punch, that cumulus effect has to kick in at some point. Um, Takam was, was fighting very similar to how Burt, if you are familiar with the fighter Burt Cooper in the past, he was imploring that style um, throughout the fight, which was giving Joyce trouble in terms of the scorecards. But like you said, Joyce, um, Takam started to get tired around the fourth round. Fifth round um, was the best round for Joyce. I gave him that round as well and then in the beginning of the sixth round is when he rocked uh to calm snot box with that left and got him in trouble and finished him shortly after i thought it was a stay busy type fight for joyce you know um it's a lot to take from this i don't know how much he's going to do it because i thought that was some of the things that he worked on after um his last fight as far as the head movement um, not getting hit as flush and not also not just being so one dimensional with his punches. Like when he, somebody else, if he fights somebody who's a little bit more skillful than to come, they're going to be able to time that jab because it's so methodical. It's not like he changes the pace of it. He does the same thing over and over as a routine. Now, what I do like about him is, and I mentioned this in the past, is that he's, uh, you know, knockoff George Foreman right? The old George Foreman who used to enter ring, not the young, vibrant knockout artist. I'm talking about that slow uh, George Foreman. But it's a beauty in that where he's always poised. He's always in control. And the fact that he's so poised, I think that helps him to absorb those shots a lot of times. And then also his opponent is going to have to do a lot just to keep him off of, you know what I mean? Not that he's doing like the greatest work in the world, but it's just the fact that you got this imposing figure coming at you for 12 rounds that at some point you're going to start getting fatigued. So, I mean, I think that that's what he's going to have to hang his hat on. And that's what's going to enable him to be champion of the world if um, that's in his cards. But, you know, moving forward, what I'd like to see from him is he probably needs another one or two fights. Before I was saying that he's, he, he's 35, so he needs to be on a fast track but he's not going to set himself up for success 
where he's at skill-wise. There's certain things he still needs to work on. So what I would like for him, again, is to work on that head movement and then varying his attack, especially with the jab. But, you know, he can do that against a guy like a Charles Martin. Like, get him a fight like that. Um, I know Gerald Washington has a fight coming up, but, you know, somebody like that caliber of opponent and maybe even a Kubrat Pulev, like, get somebody in the ring like that and then, um, you know, go after the Joshua fight. I would... For him, I think that he's better off trying to fight Anthony Joshua than Tyson Fury because I think Tyson Fury is not going to, you know, tire out and, you know, he'll just get frustrated about trying to fight Tyson Fury because he's going to be missing a mile away because a lot of times when Joe Joyce throw punches, it's like those punches, he set an appointment up for the punch that he's about to throw and Fury be all the way out of the way, frustrating the mess out of the man and that would be ugly. But Joshua gets tired and so he may be able to take advantage of that, but I still would like think Joshua would be favored in that fight. Um, by a wide margin, but that's the fight that he should seek out later after a fight against somebody like Charles Martin or Gerald Washington. But that's all I have. Uh, yeah, uh, you guys did a great job of breaking down the fight itself and what you saw, so I won't get too much into that. I will say I had it 48-47, uh, uh, Takam. I gave him the first three rounds kind of almost the first three and a half really but once joey started to come on in the fourth i feel like it was his fight at that point um three things joyce has going for him you know he has he has decent enough stamina for a heavyweight he, he's durable he was taking some shots and in this fight you know in the fourth he started to land some solid body shots around the same time Takam's energy levels seemed to taper off and so um you know it was a good it was a good, good enough showing for him um I, I do like him as a fighter. I, I like that he takes fights like this. Uh, he was saying that he hopes this one sets him up for a shot against uh, either Fury Wilder or the AJ Usyk winner. And it might, but there's a better chance that the winners of those respective fights will fight each other. And so maybe Joyce gets a crack at one of those losers to improve his resume and establish common opposition. Um, realistically i am personally i agree with you will i would like to see him fight one of those fighters maybe two of those fighters before he were to take a fight like that because even between fury wilder aj Usyk, out of those if, if i were to put you know joyce at number five out of those just just like to number not in any particular order but i don't think joyce really wins i don't, I don't think he, he beats either of them but i'm not i'm not mad at him for wanting it i just don't like it for him now. Like if he's gonna, if he's gonna take one of those fights, then put in just a little bit more work and, and like you said, we'll work on those things. But uh, overall, it was a good heavyweight fight. Uh, you guys have any more thoughts on that one? Yeah, uh, shout out to you, Will. I, I, I kind of saw that uh, George Foreman comparison too. I just didn't want to be the one to mention it. So thanks for uh, saying that for me. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of a few devils, I mentioned. Um, a second ago, uh, the fight between Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk was made official. I don't have the exact date, but I believe it's going to be late September. I feel like it's the 25th. Um, how do you guys see that playing out? All right, so we got Anthony Joshua, who's 24-1 with 22 KOs. He's 31 years of age, six feet six with an 82-inch reach. And that 24 and 1 and 22 KO um, record has him at an 88% KO ratio. Um, you got Alexander Usyk, who's 6'3. 
uh, is 78 inch reach. He's 18 and 0, 13 KOs, 34 years old, and he has a 72% KO ratio. Both of these guys are or won gold medals in the 2012 uh, Olympic Games in the UK. Usyk had an amateur record, outstanding amateur, 33, um, 335 victories of 15 losses. Uh, one of those losses, uh, uh, highly enough, was against Sean Porter. Um, Anthony Joshua's coming off the Kubrat Pulev fight, and then Usyk just defeated Derek Chisora, um in his last fight. Now, as far as the skills that each guy brings to the table, when I look at AJ, AJ is that typical, has that typical European boxer puncher style where he takes advantage of his size, athletic ability. You know, uh, AJ has a tight defense and he keeps his right close to his chin to defend against those hooks. And it's really effective, you know, especially when he utilizes that jab, like, and then he sets it up with a big right hand. And he was doing that in that second fight against uh, Ruiz. And then also, if you want to take a look at him at his best, um, he was doing that also against Joseph Parker, although he was doing a little bit of holding in that fight. But that's his, you know, best avenue to victory is when he, you know, chooses to fight in that manner. Very good finisher, um, but AJ also can be a little bit chinny. A lot of times when he gets hit, he can uh, be hurt, you know, once he gets touched. So Usyk on the other end, his best attribute is going to be his movement, his energy level. And I've been looking at more Usyk lately when his fight was announced. Initially, when the fight was announced, I was like, AJ is cherry picking. But as I looked at Usyk, some highlights, more highlights, and then some actual whole fights of him, Usyk is really slick defensively. Rarely do you see him get hit flush with shots. Um, he utilizes a point jab to set up his offense. And then sometimes he uses the high guard and he often uh, lands sharp single shot counters. He's not really that big of a like combination puncher. But like I said, he's really slick. You know, the guy is, is very accomplished at cruiserweight, beat guys like Huck, Bradis, um, Hunter. Hunter now is the top 10 heavyweight. And then also he was the undisputed champ at cruiserweight, but he hasn't looked as good at heavyweight as he did um, against those cruiserweights. Now, to me, the question is going to be this. I think the obvious question is going to be, is Joshua just too big for Usyk? And then on the flip side of that, is Usyk just too slick for Joshua? You know, when I look at Usyk, obviously he's fundamentally better than AJ, and he may be able to out-hustle you know, because AJ is robotic, you know, and Usyk, he's more multidimensional, you know, and he might be able to just like stay elusive throughout the fight, tire AJ out um, because he has the advantages in speed, the footwork. Now, also to me, AJ on the flip side, what he needs to do is he needs to do what Chisora didn't do. And what I didn't see Chisora doing, having a 20 plus pound advantage, he didn't do big man stuff where he didn't like hold on to Usyk and like lean on him and tire him out. He didn't do any of those things. And so um, Usyk had a lot of energy left when Chisora started to get tired. Now, one fight that really impressed me with Usyk was there was a World Series of Boxing um, series that they had in 2013. And oddly enough, he fought against Joe Joyce. 
Now, that Joe Joyce that fought in 2013, he was much, he was like 10 times faster than he is this day, than he is today. In that fight, Usyk must have landed, I don't know how many counter lefts, and he was just too elusive. Now, again, AJ is faster than Joyce, but Joyce doesn't get as tired as AJ either. This fight to me is going to be a 55 45 fight in favor of Josh. When, when it first was said that they were supposed to be fighting, like I said, I thought this was like a 70 20, you know, type thing. But when I analyze both guys, the, ro- the robotic nature of AJ, somebody that's as elusive, somebody that is a dog, like Usyk is an animal, like, and he's a winner on top of that. Like, he's going to do whatever it is he needs to do to win. And I don't think that he feels like he can lose. And some of the things that I see in AJ, I know who succeeds that, right? Where he's going to be able to be elusive. And if he's tagging AJ half as much as he tagged um, Choice when they fought, oh, it could spell trouble for AJ. Not only will he frustrate the mess, I, don't, I think he really could like do some serious damage. I think he'd get a stoppage. Even though he doesn't look like what we've seen at the heavyweight division from Usyk as far as power, AJ just doesn't like it when he gets touched. Like anytime he gets touched, he, he does his legs do a dance. And so I think he could possibly get a stoppage. Now, down with the flip side of that as well is that AJ, AJ might just very well turn his TV off with a right hand or a left hook. You know, you just never know because he's so big and he's so powerful. But like I said, I have it a 55-45 fight in favor of AJ just based on the size, but I can see Usyk getting the decision by just outworking him, out hustling him, and then just out being too slick for him. And so that's the way I see things. Yeah, man, it's definitely an intriguing fight for a few reasons. You you already named some of them. I may or may not uh, repeat some of it, but bear with me. Um, I saw that the odds going into it, they had AJ winning. They had it uh, uh, under 240 um, in terms of the, the betting odds. Uh, the biggest question to me is, well, really, is which AJ are we going to see and which Usyk we're going to see? I say that because going to AJ, when he fought Joseph Parker in 2018, he weighed in at 242 pounds. This was his lightest weight in four years at that time. And he boxed pretty clever and won a solid decision victory with that one. Um, he was at 246 when he fought Povetkin in 2018. Um, but he had outweighed Povetkin by 28 pounds. So he came in heavier, tried to impose his frame and got the knockout win. Uh, when he fought Ruiz the first time in the beginning of 2018 or 2019, rather, uh, he weighed in at 245, but Ruiz was 268. And uh, we saw what happened there. But then in Ruiz 2, he said, you know what, I'm going to drop down and I'm going to outbox this guy. And so in, Ru- in Ruiz 2, he came in at 237, his lightest weight as a professional. And, and he did what he was said to do. He was light on his feet, stamina was good. He boxed smart and he got a clear decision win. So which one of those AJs will we see? Uh, but regardless, AJ's 6'6", Usyk's 6'3", like you said. Uh, his first two fights in heavyweight, Usyk's coming in at 215 and 217. However, uh, I saw a video that he put out in May where he claimed to be at 232 already. So he was already preparing. I don't know if that how close that fight was at the time, but he was already preparing to fight a bigger fighter. Now, he's an excellent boxer. 
Um, like you said, I think he's a better pure boxer than AJ. So AJ's gonna have to think very hard about which one of those strategies he wanna he wanna do. Does he wanna be heavy and aggressive, or does he wanna be loud on his feet and make it a boxing match? And, and another thing is, you know, uh, Usyk's body didn't look that solid at 232. So if he's gonna stay at that weight or if he's gonna gain more weight, how much of how, how much his body gonna agree with his his strategy and his his boxing ability? How slick will he remain? So. Uh, if I'm AJ, personally, I, I would err more on the side of coming in in that mid-240 range. And, you know, he has a, a three-inch height advantage, so I might try to use that range to set up something and, and rough Usyk up a little bit. I'm not saying Usyk can't pull it off because, again, he's a very good boxer and he's better, a better boxer um, strictly from a boxing standpoint than AJ. But for me, it's hard to see him dealing with a heavier AJ after seeing him – I don't think – AJ would present all the same issues as Shashora did, but AJ is going to be potentially around that same weight class. Um, so I would I would probably say it's a 55-45 fight as well in, in, in AJ's favor. But uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out because um, I know Usyk moved up to heavyweight to get a shot like this. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be a very good fight. I don't think there's a, like a clear – there's no way you can say it's like a clearly going to win this fight. Yeah, you, you two guys, y'all made some excellent points. Um, this is a, a pretty good fight, not by terms of just action, but what could happen in this fight and how it would play out is uh, very intriguing. Um, I know the, the, about the weight, I think Joshua will be a dis doing himself a disservice of coming in heavier, uh, I think, because that slows him down a little bit more. I think when he was trying to, be this bodybuilder and come and look like a bodybuilder, I think he was really messing himself up more. And I think that's what caused some of his stamina issues. And if he goes to an Uzik fight like that, that's what, that's where he's going to lose it. Because I think uh, Uzik is going to, if Uzik is still around in the second half of this fight, he's going to win, he's going to win rounds going down the stretch. So if I'm Joshua, I think uh, he might want to have some energy and try to prolong that by having enough energy to, to do what he can for, you know, uh, two, the first two thirds of the fight. Um, and Joshua is, is, is bigger. So I think, I think one of the biggest questions is, is can Usyk even take a punch from Joshua and, and can he survive that? Uh, of course, he's been there with, with uh, bigger guy or guys around that size, uh, but I don't, I'm not sure if there is, you know, have the, the same type of firepower that, that Joshua has. And, and, and I see, it's from a stylistic standpoint, Joshua doesn't necessarily struggle with guys unless they're going to, you know, let's say do two things, which I think one of these things Uzik can do. Uh, number one, he has to have firepower, which I'm not sure that Uzik has. And you have to be able to counter effectively, which Uzik can do. Um, so I could see Uzik hitting Joshua with some counters. But if Joshua isn't worried about it, um, I, 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 Josh is one of those, those fighters that live inside of his head. Uh, and if you're a, a mental threat to him, I mean, mentally, you can, you can see him getting tired and draining and, and, and messing himself up. And Uzik, I'm not sure if he, he poses that threat. Um, that's why even though, for example, even though Tyson Fury, right, is this big guy, I think him and Joshua matches up better than I think Joshua and Wilder. I think uh, Wilder is a bad matchup for Joshua because just his presence in the ring will be a, a threat to Joshua's mental state and he will fail mentally. You know? 
So it, it, with Joshua, I think a lot of his struggles are, are mental. Uh, some of his physical as far as the bulk, but I think a lot of his mental as far as uh, being mentally drained and getting tired. And and, 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 and I think that's where Uzi can, can squeak out a decision. But I think that Joshua's probably going to hurt him early and make Uzik have to use his defensive this defensive maneuvers to survive. And I think that Uzik is good enough defensively to to, to stay around uh, and lose the decision to Joshua. So I think Joshua will win a probably an eight to four type of decision over Uzik. Anything else you guys want to share? Oh yeah. I think them rights and lefts is gonna change his mentals too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's the other part that Joshua, that's the big question mark, is touching that chin. Now, against like a typical heavyweight, see, sometimes with guys, um, they don't like to get touched. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so if he, if he gets touched enough, did you guys see the World Series boxing um, fight with Usyk and, and Joyce? Did you see that? It's been a minute. I did, but it's been a minute, so I don't remember, like, you know, the intricacies, but, yeah. Yeah, if you get a chance, uh, revisit that because that's the point that I'm making. Like, you see how big Joyce, Joyce wasn't as big at that time. You know, and I know Joyce isn't AJ, but it's just the way Usyk did his work, where his movement, uh, his movements. And he has that, like, he's another guy with the radar. Like, he knows how to time guys when they're coming in, like hitting you right before you want to throw a shot or hitting you right after you throw a shot. And I think that enough of that is going to like have AJ unravel. It could be like that. My thing is, the sure thing is this, is if AJ catches Usyk flush, then all bets off. But if he's able to, um, you know, he's gonna get hit. It's just a matter of how he gets hit. And if he can be turning with the punches, he does a really good job of that. Um, and he knows when to throw where he, he'll get hit by the guy, but it's not like at the point where he's at his most powerful, you know what I mean? So he's, he's really, he's, he's mastered that type of thing. And so, like I said, if he just, he's, if he's just being Usyk and he doesn't get clocked with something, it's going to be a frustrating night for AJ. He still may get the victory because he's just a big, huge guy, you know what I mean? With skill, but he gets tired, man. Like he really does. He gets tired um, often in his fights. And I think Usyk will be able to take advantage of that. So moving along, we've received reports this week that uh, Terrence Bud Crawford uh, versus Showtime Sean Porter, uh, the welterweight bout has been ordered by the World Boxing Organization, WBO. Um, what are you guys' thoughts about that? Man, first thing first, why wasn't Bud and WBO's DMs this whole time asking for this fight? Like, it, the, the way it came together, it, it implies that you know, both sides are in agreement, but, but man, I don't know. It, the, the timing of it is just interesting. But anyways, on to the fight itself. Uh, Terrence Bud Crawford, 37-0, 28 knockouts, 5'8", 74-inch reach. Uh, he last knocked out Kell Brook last November in the fourth round. Sean Porter, Showtime, is 31-3, 18 knockouts. 5'7", 69.5-inch reach. He last beat Sebastian Formella last August by unanimous decision. He does have uh, his three losses come to Errol Spence, Keith Thurman, and Kell Brook. Now, goes without saying, 
<clears throat> excuse me. Now, it goes without saying, this is by far Crawford's biggest test at 147, whereas Porter has fought a who's who at the weight class. Um, this is also somewhat of a litmus test that you could use to kind of gauge how Crawford would fare on the PBC side of the street, so to speak, um, especially since him and Spence will now share a common opposition. Um, now, Sean Porter is playing with house money, but Crawford has a lot at stake because not only will he have to be Porter, but he's got to make it look good too. And if he does, it's, it's going to have to be, if he does make it look good, it's going to be easy to say, see, top rank and PBC can work together. So why can't the Spence fight happen now? And people are going to be demanding that fight uh, more so than they did before. Um, the thing about Porter is, although he's a good fighter, he's kind of, he just kind of has a ceiling as a boxer when it comes to fighting the elite welterweights. And whenever he's fought like that top five in that top five category, the better boxer has tended, has tended to one. The better boxer has won. Um, in those fights where it's kind of a toss up, like the, for example, like the Danny Garcia fight, he was able to make it ugly and kind of outwork him and get the, get the win off of those. But, um, but, you know, but when he fought Spence, Spence was willing to make it uglier than he had to, but he still won a clear decision, I thought. And I think Crawford may be willing to do that too, but Crawford has this mean streak and he's going to want to put on a show because he's going to want to market himself in a way where people want to see that fight that Spence fight. And that's kind of like a renewed interest in it, so to speak. Um, I think Crawford, Crawford is pretty good. Um, he Crawford effortlessly switches between the Orthodox and the Southpaw. And I, I think Porter's just going to come on strong in those earlier rounds while Crawford kind of tries to figure him out. But I do think as Crawford comes on, he's going to start getting some good shots in. He's going to be switching it up. And I think once he starts to smell blood, he's not going to stop. And uh, But Porter's a dog, you know, don't get me wrong. But I think that once Crawford gets in his own and, and really starts to get truly aggressive in there, I could see it being maybe like a 10th round stoppage somewhere in that, in that range. So... Uh... Terrence Bud Crawford versus Showtime uh, Sean Porter. Um, two guys I happen to like, too. And my, my first thought when I heard about this is once out of, like, I don't know how many times, what, probably 50, a boxing organization has gotten something right. <laughs> Normally, they're, they're embarrassed. We get, you know, upset about how many champions there are and, and how many weight classes there are. And, uh, and, and them having a Mitris champion, a super champion and all that. But this is one instance where the organizations did what they were supposed to do. And it seemed like it worked in favor for the fans and even the fighters, you know. Um, as far as how this fight goes, it's hard to say because uh, Sean Porter is a, is, a, is a rough fight for anyone. Uh, he's like the king of like having, you know, close fights, whether he wins or lose them, you know, they're pretty close. Um, the only fight that, that that big fight that I didn't think was close, well, it was sort of close, was the fight against Kell Brook. I thought Kell Brook won that fight um, going away, but it still, you know, Porter wasn't being, like, dominated, so he's always uh, dangerous. I thought the fights with uh, Danny Garcia, uh, 
uh, Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, they all were pretty close um, to me. So um, I expect this fight to be close also. Um, and I and I want to see if, if Bud can pull it out. And this is his chance to to shut everyone up, you know. So um, I, I like what the WBO did by doing this. I, want, I would like to see more organizations do this and step in, you know, when they when they can, and we'll see what happens. You know, I have a prediction. I predict that Bud wins this fight by decision, unanimous decision. In a close fight, but it'll still be seven to five or eight to four, where it's clear that he won it. Gotcha. All right. So the way I look at it is First and foremost, if they actually fight, they just like said that Porter is the mandatory. But if they do fight, hopefully they fight for more so Bud Crawford's sake. You know, and I'm hearing him say, you know, this you're gonna see why I'm the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. You know what I mean? So I like the confidence. He always shows that and he's always shown that, you know, he's a confident, he believes in his talent, you know, type of guy. But like I said, it's time, man. He's 33 years old. He's been holding on to that WBL strap for some time now. And it's time for him to, you know, fight guys who are not old, you know what I mean? Like a Brook and Khan, you know, it's time for him to stop fighting guys with one leg or somebody who's unknown, you know? So this would be a good fighter to have on his resume. This would be the most solid victory in my eyes, um, at least, you know what I mean? For what that's worth. Both of these guys are 33 years old. Um, like you say, he, the last fight for Bo was against Brook. Last fight for um, Sean Showtime Porter was against Macaulay Calkin. Um, so as far as uh, but you know what he brings to the table, based on you know just what we know about him, he's he's a very complete fighter. You know, probably the most complete fighter in boxing, where he adapts to any style of his opponent. He's an exceptional. Um, he has an exceptional boxing IQ. He can do it all. He can apply pressure, counter punch. Um, defensive maneuver, maneuverability. Um, he can end fight with power shots. You know, he shoots shots from different angles. And then he's also a tremendous finisher. You know, and I like that switch hit ability of him. Probably the best switch hitter in boxing that we have right now. Showtime Sean Porter, on the other hand, you know, at his best, you know, Sean is a mauler. You know, he relies on tremendous amounts of pressure and his physical strength to, you know, impact or inflict some uh, damage on his opponent and also to combat, you know, um, some of the lack of, I wouldn't even say necessarily skills. He's one of those guys who's mastered what he does well. You know, he does that one thing, but he does it at an elite level. I always say Terrence Bud Crawford is like an all-time great talent. And then Sean Porter is like an all-time great um, bull rusher. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the thing that he brings to the table. Um, but the one thing about Sean is sometimes he smothers his work when he's up close and he can't land effective shots. Now, one thing you're going to get from Sean Porter is you don't get 110%. And every, every time that he steps into the ring, and so on the flip side of that, his opponent, in order to be able to defeat him, they have to be on their A game. Um, now, one thing going into this fight, I have it a 55-45 fight in favor of Terrence Crawford, just based on the fact that Sean's experience against the other guys that he's faced that you guys mentioned, Spence, Garcia, Thurman, 
and then also Brooke when he was, you know, prime Brooke, you know. And some people say that that was the, like the fight that he lost most convincingly. But when you looked at the scorecards, that was a majority decision uh, loss that he had against Brooke. But I think that most people who saw the fight thought that Brooke clearly won. But it was, you know, relatively a hard fought fight uh, from both guys. Now, the biggest thing that Bud is going to have entering into this ring is he's not that much shorter than Terrence Crawford, but Terrence Crawford has a long reach for a welterweight. He has a 74-inch reach where Sean has a 69-inch reach. Sean is used to fighting guys with longer reaches, but if you look at those top guys that he's faced, Spence has a pretty nice reach himself. Like um, Floyd Mayweather had a 72-inch reach, and Spence does as well. Garcia only had a 69-inch reach, and then Thurman had a 69-inch reach, as well as Kell Brook had a 69-inch reach. So it's going to be the longest fighter that he's faced. Um, so that's going to be interesting as well. Now, my question is going into this fight is going to be this, is how will Bud approach this fight because there's so many different ways. I don't know if he's going to start off right hand, he's going to start off left hand. And then will he box and move? Because if he box and move, then that might wear him out later in the fight. Or will he stay in the pocket and then just counter that way against um, Porter? And then also, who, who will the referee be? Because, you know, Porter likes the, that rough and tough action. He likes to get on the inside and, you know, bang on the body when he's inside and, you know, grabbing and tussling so will it be somebody like tony weeks who's not going to allow that type of thing or will it be somebody different who's going to um allow it which would give porter an advantage so all of those things are going to play a factor in this fight um but we already know what, what porter's playbook is going to be you know he's going to bull rush you to rough you up throwing punches and elbows and all type of stuff he's going to bull rush to get close when he's in trouble he's going to bull rush you know when the other fighter isn't doing much he's going to bull rush you know but the other thing about Porter is you look at his style and it doesn't look like that pleasing to the eye, but he is deceptively, deceptively good on defense um, most of the time. But now what he is susceptible to is going to be uppercuts and then the left hook because in that 11th, no, that was the fourth round against Thurman where Thurman almost put him down with a left hook and then Spence actually put him down with the left hook in the 11th round when they fought. And then I saw Danny, you know, constantly catching him with the left hook. But I'm sure he's going to know that going into the fight. And, you know, Bud does what he has to do. Like when he hit Benavidez, he caught him to put him in trouble. He hit him with an uppercut. And up until that point, he had not thrown an uppercut all fight. Um, so he does what's needed. And so that's going to be interesting to see. But as much pressure as Porter is going to be putting on him, um, it's going to be interesting to see how effective bug can be you know if he gets fatigued and i think that that's it's gonna happen because he's never faced anybody like sean porter with the exception of felix diaz um when they fought but felix diaz is not felix Diaz into the ring with 160 pounds but at the same time he's just not as physically strong as a sean porter um another thing these things just come into my mind is that bud is one of those guys who generates power from strange angles so it catches people off guard that he's able to hit you in such a solid fashion because sometimes you can just feel like i'm out of position you just guy can't hit me if he, even if he does hit me, it's not going to be that hard and those are the shots that bug gets guys in trouble with so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the course of this fight 
Um, I think the likely scenario, well, one thing I do want to mention is that um, <clears throat> to me, I said Diaz because Diaz fights in that fashion where he rushes in. Um, again, not as much of, of a mauler as Porter, but they fight similarly in that fashion and Bud was just picking them apart. Um, but he's, like I say, he's not as, as powerful as um, Porter. And then Kavalaskis. Kavalaskis doesn't fight like Porter, but he's such a sturdy welterweight. And that was giving Bud some trouble for a while until Bud does what he does. And that's make adjustments. And so I think at some point in his fight, Bud is going to make some adjustments. And will Porter be able to adjust to that adjustment is going to be the key. Um, like Bud's meanness, because if he gets you in trouble, he's going to try to get you out of there. And nine times out of ten, he will. Um, it seems like he has more power or he hasn't lost any of his power um, since he moved up and weight. He's one of those guys who it seemed like when he was at the lower weight classes that may have taken away from some of his power, you know, but now um, he's punching really hard and he's getting guys out of there. So again, I have it a 55, 45 fight. Um, this is the type of fight that we want to see from Bud, you know, hopefully if they do are able to, sign to make this fight we don't see any of the other guys that he's been facing like i said the old fighters and fighters with limitations with one leg and half an elbow and all of that type of stuff so you know i like it hopefully it's made um but i slightly lean towards bud but sean porter's a live dog baby anything else you guys have um yeah especially for Mella, he does look like macaulay Culkin. <laughs> <laughs> man uh but yeah um you know i i never really try to knock guys who put their lives on the line and get paid millions of dollars hey get your money get as much as you can but as a fan of bud crawford as someone who's defended bud for years and who was on him early when a lot of people were not terrence man take take the fight man take this fight you know, as a fan, I believe you could be all, a lot of these guys are welterweight, but fights are not won in my mind or in anyone else's mind, nor are they won on paper. Fights are won in the ring. Bud Crawford, if you're listening to this, by chance, take this fight. Do this one for the people who looked at you as a representative for the underdog. You know, he to me, he represents those guys who wasn't supposed to have a seat at that table. You know, when he lost to Saddam Ali um, in a 2008 Olympic trials, he was kind of written off. He wasn't looked at as that guy that, that all the promoters was running to, to, be a, to, to, to begin a pro career with. You know, they were, they were running to guys who, you know, had Olympic pedigree or were in Olympics. Mind you that a lot of a lot of guys had didn't even medal when they went to the Olympics. You know, I mean USA haven't been really meddling a lot. So when I look at a lot of those amateurs, they're a lot of them are on the same level, you know. And but even he was a standout amateur. But I think that loss put it probably put a bad taste in a lot of promoters' mouth and a lot of people didn't want to deal with him. And even when you look at his career with top rank, they really wasn't pushing him like that until uh, the British Prescott win, you know, and that was a fight that he took on, what, a couple of days notice, you know, at, at a weight that he didn't even, wasn't even fighting at, at the same, at that time. So he wasn't really being pushed as a guy that was going to be anything, uh, even though he was an amateur standout, it just didn't make the, the, the Olympic team. So 
as someone who, who, who follows Bud Crawford, who defends Bud Crawford, Terrence, take this fight, shut everyone up. I got a quick question for you, fellas. Out of the two fights that we just predicted, you know, the Usyk Joshua, the Bub versus Showtime Sean, which one is more of a lot? Like, which one do you think the outcome that you, your prediction that you're making is much more of a short shot um, case to likely happen? Good question. I, I do think that I'm going to go to AJ Usyk. Um, I think that AJ is going to figure out a way to win. I just don't know how it's going to happen. Um, so I, I will go with that AJ one. Yeah, I say that the AJ fight also just, to, in my opinion, just based on, you know, the, the size factor and, and what could happen. And, and Joshua himself, you know, has a, uh, you know, Olympic pedigree also. And he wasn't like he can't box or he was a bad amateur. I mean, he was an amateur great also. So I think that fight, um, I, I can see that fight going in the direction that I stated more than I can see uh, Crawford versus Porter. I think Crawford is talented and and he can't he's capable of beating Porter and capable of doing. It. It's a lot. It's too many unknowns based off of uh, Crawford's career at welterweight. Even though I believe he can beat a lot of these guys, but again, fights aren't won on paper. But Josh has been beating a lot of guys in the ring, you know. And in his weight class. So I think, and, and just the way Porter fights, I think sometimes Porter will give away fights by doing certain things. Like even when he tries to box sometimes, even though he has boxing ability and he can box, he, he can give away fights by boxing too much instead of being the Sean Porter and giving guys trouble like he can. And I think he can give Terrence Crawford trouble by being unorthodox. It's just that when it comes to Terrence Crawford, he's an, he's a unorthodox, but he's also a, a box a boxing unorthodox guy. You know, uh, Porter is more. You know, he, he's a lot of these tactics that's just um, uh, just rugged, and I think that can possibly give Terrence Crawford trouble. But we don't know until they get in the ring. I, I think I I have more unknowns on that more than I do on Anthony Joshua versus Usyk. Yes, sir. Yeah, we, we don't know any of this. That's why we're here. We're trying to go ahead and provide clarity for our audience. Um, the last thing I have before we get to our last topic is this, Bill. Do you think that the Joshua Usyk fight, if you were to predict, if you were to put money on this, do you think that it would end in a decision or do you think AJ rocks Usyk's not fine? Uh, I, based on the elusiveness of Usyk, I think it, can, it will end in a decision. I think Joshua can stop Usyk, but I think it's not. I think he may, if when he hurts Usyk, well, if he hurts Usyk, Usyk is going to use his defensive proudness and he's going to be able, it's going to be almost be like, uh, like uh, when Alexander Povekin went against Klitschko. And, you know, Povekin was known as that guy too, who can hit you with them counters, he can do a lot of stuff. But as soon as, as Klitschko started really, you know, putting it on him, he, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Povekin lost, but he was good enough defensively to, or, or he was elusive enough to survive uh, uh, most of that fight. Okay. I appreciate your answer, sir. We're going to go ahead and move off into our last topic. Great discussion, fellas. Um, we wanted to switch things up, you know, as opposed to just doing all predictions and all recaps. Uh, we're going to answer this question here. Um, who do you guys think 
is the most dominant fighter or dominant champion in the sport of boxing today? Yeah, this, this was a great question. And, uh, and I thought about this two ways, too. Uh, so, I, so I looked at uh, who was dominant in their particular weight class. And I'm thinking, then I thought about who is just plain dominant. And this is for different reasons. So I'm not going to go into the weight classes because there's like 17 of them. And a lot of weight classes, it didn't seem like anyone was clearly dominant in them. I'll just look at who stands out in certain weight classes. Of course, at um, 118, which is uh, Bantamweight, I thought the monster, Naui, uh, Naui uh, Inui, I know I'm messing his name up. I thought he came out as, as dominant at that weight class, even with the close fight with uh, Nonito down there. I thought he, he he's very dominant at that weight class. Um, I wanted, really wanted to put somebody at uh, Super Flyway in there, but I couldn't decide between Estrada and Gonzalez. That's a very, very hard weight class to predict, and I think those guys got to get out. At 126, I think the, the Gary Russell Jr. was the most consistent at 126. Uh, even though I don't, I, I still want to see those guys mix it up more. Um, 140, Josh Taylor, he's dominated that class. He's basically running the table at 140. At welterweight, 147, I think Spence stands out as he's been fighting a lot of these top fighters and beating them. So uh, he deserved a nod at that. 154, Jamel Charlo. Um, even though he coming off that close fight with Brian Constantino, where many people thought he lost, I think his resume at 154, uh, he's the one that's, that's, that's pretty much harder to beat than a lot of them, minus Brian Gostanio. Um, of course, 168, that's Canelo Alvarez. It's, we don't need to say much. He's that guy. I think he, And I think he looks better at 168 than at uh, 160 and 175, which he can't fight at. I think 168, his dominant weight class. Uh, 175, I think Better Beef has just edging it. Um, and at heavyweight, uh, I have Tyson Fury as he's been the one who's pretty much got the wins over uh, his contemporaries, the more the most wins over his contemporaries. Now, when I look at who's just a dominant fighter, and, and, and for what, and I looked at this for different reasons, and, I, and these names stuck out, and they all were for different reasons. I couldn't really consistent, consistent come up with a consistency on the the uh, the criteria. But of course, Canelo just sticks out as number one. He's dominant. He just he's on that level where he's just beating everybody, and and the way he's doing it, a lot of people uh, criticized his you know some of his resume. But I mean, Callum Smith is not an easy fight for a lot of these guys that everybody think is so great around those weight classes, you know. And, and even Triple G, you know, whether you have him winning or losing over that over any of those fights. You gotta give him props for, for even doing that, you know. Another guy, uh, Terrence Crawford. Um, he hasn't been dominant at welterweight, and of course, I think Smith is more dominant welterweight. But when I look at him, he basically ran a table at two weight classes, which is one thirty-five and one forty, where he was the main guy, and and he was doing what Josh Taylor did back then. He already he had those four titles, you know. He went and got those belts. And, and that's a hard thing to do, as Jermail Charlo was finding out. It's not easy, you know, to, 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 to get four belts and even keep them and defend them. What's my man name? Uh, Jermaine Taylor. He found out it's not easy, you know. Uh, so, so he sticks out. Um, Josh Taylor, you know, he's on that list because he's the type of – he did 
get those four belts at um, junior welterweight. And Shakur Stevenson, I look at as dominant. Of course, he's not dominating. He's not the man in his weight class as he hasn't had that fight. But I look at the way he fights and what he's done. When I see him in the ring, a lot of these guys are not even landing a glove on him, you know. And it, just based off the eye test, I have him as being dominant. But still, he has to fight those fights, though. So, but that's that's my list. Now, um, the way I look at it is, and the reason why I asked the question is because when I look at boxing currently today, 2021, July, right? I don't see guys who are like that. Now, I see fighters who are, when you see them, like they'll be that guy in terms of an event like you want to see them fight but as far as like dominant like when I think of dominant I'm thinking about Hagler like when he was at 160 it was a certain point nobody really wanted to see Hagler he was just you know seeking destroy taking out everybody Mayweather especially in those lower weight classes you had guys who were avoiding him Shane Mosley um, all of those guys didn't really want to see Floyd Mayweather um, even though he was a smaller dude like they didn't want to mess around with that right Cornell Whitaker it was a certain point where he was just pretty much untouchable Roy Jones probably one of the most dominant guys you know what I mean like that's just that's the dude right there Roberto Duran that lightweight please uh, Michael Spinks cleared everything out at light heavyweight nobody could mess with Michael Spinks Cesar Chavez at certain points you know I would think about Tyson for that brief spell, like he was really dominant. Nobody really wanted to mess with Mike Tyson. Holyfield at Cruiserweight, you know, nobody really wanted to mess with Holyfield. I don't see a guy like that um, in boxing, but I'll give who I think is the closest to that because every division, they have somebody there who would pretty much be a 50-50 fight with the exception of a few, right? And it's, it's, Sometimes it's based on the circumstance because you could be the most dominant in your division, but your division just isn't like loaded, right? So when I look at it, for instance, I'm not familiar with, you know, sorry, smaller guys. I'm not familiar with the weight classes, 112 and below. So I really can't speak on that. You know, I don't really be checking for those guys. And I apologize. Last time I was really looking at guys in that lower weight class when you had Ricardo Lopez, you know, I'll check him out, you know, but. Um, I think Rigo fought fights down there. I, I'm not sure, but I, I really don't be checking for those little dudes. Now, 115, I can't say that <laughs> because Estrada is the man, but, you know, so wrong of a side, you know, that's always going to be a tough matchup. Him and Chocolatito could have went either way, so I can't consider him dominant. Um, 122 is just seemed like they are all equally talented. Um, 118, Donaire, he's, he's the man, you know, but with the exception of Donaire, <laughs> really not much there left for him to do and i don't think those guys are world beaters gary russell i don't see anybody at 126 beat him i'll come back to him in a second uh shakur you got him you got oscar valdez at 130 so it's really no dominant guy there um 135 is just loaded right um josh taylor he's dominant but i still that regis progress fight that wasn't a dominant performance you know what i mean he beat regis i think that is pretty much a 50 50 fight they fight again but he has all of the belts, so he deserves like his respect for you know accomplishing that feat. We saw Charlo um, at 154 at Castaño. That's an evenly matched fight, you know. The other Charlo at 160, you got Andrade right there. You know that's certainly a uh, um, so it's uncertainty there, right? Uh, 147 Spence Crawford. You know they got to iron that out. 
you know, to see if we do have a dominant fighter in that weight class. And then 175, you got better be a Bivol, 50-50, Cruiserweight, not really familiar with those guys, but they all seem equally talented. Heavyweight, Fury could be, but, you know, Fury out there testing positive for COVID, hanging out, buying cars, you know, with COVID, you know, when he should be walking around with a uh, with a dang on uh, one of them suits on. I forgot what they call them. The hazmat suit, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he out there kicking it. But um, he's dominant, you know what I mean, to a certain degree, but he, he had that fight with Wilder. So I don't know. I, I can't really put him in the category of dominance, right? So the three guys to me, that are closest to it. Well, Newey would have to be number one. I don't see, I'll look at it like this. Who's least likely to lose anytime soon? So it'll come down to three guys. It'll be a new way, uh, with the exception of Donaire, but Donaire's like 58 years old. Um, so I don't see him losing anytime soon. He's wiping those guys out. When you look at the top 10 pound for pound fighters in his weight division, he's almost beat almost all of those guys. So I don't see him losing anytime soon, soon if he stays at 118. Gary Russell, from another standpoint, um, for another reason, right? Because one, Gary Russell only fights one time a year. And sometimes he's offered certain fights that he doesn't take. He could have took the Josh Warrington fight just to prove that he is the dominant figure in the weight class, didn't take it, Laura defeated him. And I don't think Gary Russell will lose to any of those guys, but he has to face the guys to show dominance and he's not doing that. And so, um, but he's least likely to lose anytime soon as a champion. And then the other one is Canelo, but then Canelo, um, he has the resume because, like you said, he beat Callum Smith and Billy Joe, but you still got David Benavidez and Caleb Plant out there. But those are the guys that kind of stick out the most in terms of their dominance um, or potential to be dominant. It's interesting because we we all looked at it three different ways. And and um, so for me, the question was, who is the most who is the one most dominant fighter in their division? So. For me, I kind of use the belts as a litmus test. And so heavyweight, like you guys said, you got Fury and AJ. Now, one could argue that Fury is right there if he were to beat AJ because there wouldn't really be anyone else for him to face. But we're here it is July 25th and um, in 2021, and he has not fought AJ yet. So can't say Fury. Cruiser, too many champs to, for one to be dominant. Light heavyweight, too many champs. You got better beef. Bivol, Joseph Jr.'s champs. Super middleweight, you got two champs. Middleweight, too many champs. 154, they just fought to a draw, the two champs. 147, Spencer Crawford, 140, Taylor. Too many champs at most of the other divisions, except for lightweight, where you have Lopez and Haney. Now, by the process of elimination, for me, I can reduce it to Canelo, Spence, or Taylor based on who they have fought at that division and, and who has the belts. And about 168, uh, you guys have said it's more or less, but Canelo's beating Rocky Fielding, Smith, uh, Yildrum, and Billy Joe. Now, two of those fighters are top 10, but people still want to see him fight Benavidez and Plant. At 147, I'm not going to name off everybody Spence's beat, but he's beating Garcia, Danny Garcia, that, that is Sean Porter, Mikey Garcia, Lamont Peterson, Kel Brook, Chris Algieri, and Samuel Vargas. Now, arguably five of those fighters were top 10 at the time he fought them, but people still want to see him fight Crawford and Pacquiao. Um, so at 140, Josh Taylor is beating Jose Ramirez, Kong Song, Progray, Baronchik, Ryan Martin, Victor Postel, to name a few. Four of those are top 10 opponents, and there's not really anybody else for him to fight at that division. And 
there, there, there is, but I'm not even going to tell it to the audience by mentioning that brother from Baltimore because we know that's not going down. Now, it depends on how you determine most dominant. Is it the person that who, who is beating the most top competition at that weight class? Or is it the person who is left with the least to be desired at that weight class? Or is it both, a combination of both? So for me, I'm actually going to go with Taylor because he's done everything there is to do at 140, and there's not really anything left for him. Um, he's kind of cleaned out the division for the most part in terms of what's realistically what realistically could be made. So Josh Taylor is my answer. I feel you. And it's, it's so many different ways. I was just probably, probably uh, say I look at it like this, you know, there's no right way to look at anything. And that's the beauty of the question, you mm -hmm. know, it's subtle. And I'm glad that I heard you guys' perspective. Because like I said, when I be thinking about dominance, like right now, um, we started the show talking about the Bucks, right? And I saw Giannis put on a dominating performance, mm -hmm. right? Like that was dominant, 50 points, you know what I'm saying? Treating those fellas like you're supposed to treat them. You know, like you got a rookie on me, man, I'm gonna go ahead and dominate. You know what I mean? It's no question as far as who's the best person on this court. And then the other thing too, and speaking of basketball, sometimes you can have like teams that play and it's like, they might accomplish something. For instance, I remember watching the NCAA championship, basketball championship, and I saw Gonzaga playing. And Gonzaga had the undefeated record which would put them in lofty company. If they would have won the game and won the championship, they would have been one of the few, if I think it was maybe one undefeated. I know Indiana was undefeated when they won the championship. And so that would put them in lofty um, status. But if you look at Gonzaga, they wasn't really dominant. They were, they won all their games. You know what I'm saying? It's like they accomplished something, but I didn't see that level of dominance. You know what I'm saying? You look at Jordan, you see it dominant player you see lebron at the height of his career that's a dominant person you know what i mean um so that's the way i was looking at it. somebody who you know they get in that ring and it's like oh they're gonna go ahead and you know show you why they're the world class fighter that you know why they deserve such a lofty status and that's the reason why i like porter you know what he's talking about if he fights I mean, not Porter, um, Crawford, if he fights Porter, it's because he's saying that. I'm going to show you why I'm the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. That's a dominant attitude. That's a dominant perspective. So he's going to show you. He's not going to show you what Charlo did. Like Charlo didn't even show you he was the top fighter in his division, let alone being a pound for pound type fighter because he was unable to make the adjustments. He was getting a clip with the same thing. Now, he may have won that fight and he may have had all of the belts, but that don't make him dominant. That just makes him somebody who has all of the belts. It's a little bit of difference. So that's the way, way I was looking at it. But again, it's no no uh, right or wrong way. Um, I just like the discussion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then the other thing, man, I know we're going on a little bit, but, you know, as we start to close this up, um, is there any fights in particular that you guys are looking forward to uh, coming up for the rest of the year? Uh, the, 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 the Spence pack out just to see how that's going to go, of course. You know, we already made our prediction, but just seeing how that plans out, because you know, uh, and also the uh, if it happens, the the Canelo Alvarez versus Caleb Plant, I think Plant style may may pose a uh, stylistic challenge. So, them the two fights. Oh yeah, there's a lot of good ones coming up. I think the tail end of this year is going to be, you know, much better than the first, and I think the first was pretty good itself. So, 2021, you know, looks to be you know, an outstanding year in the sport of boxing. On that note, we don't want to take up too much of your time. 
you know, have a good Monday, you know what I mean? Have a good morning, evening, depends on where you listening to this at. Had a good time today. You all have a great week. Peace. Peace.